Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Allen at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your family are doing well. We are in the subject of uh, God's grace and man's faith. And uh, we are actually talking about the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I would like to continue with that. And uh, I want to uh, jump over a few verses. And let's go to verse number 32 in Hebrews chapter 11. So uh, this basically he talks about all the different heroes of faith. And now this is what he says. He says, and what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. And it's, uh, it, this is fascinating because all of these great men of faith, Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, each one of these men had a story to tell, had a testimony of faith. I mean, totally wonderful and fantastic stories. And um, it says, and of Samuel and of the prophets. Then it says, it tells us what these men of faith did. It says, verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. This is in verse 35. So this is interesting because from verse, uh, you know, in verse 32, it talks about David and Samson, all these heroes of faith. And then verse 33, verse 34, tell us about how, I mean, about their great and wonderful exploits, how they subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, I mean, powerful things. And then, and then in verse 35, there's a change in tone. The whole tone changes. And I want you to listen to this. It says women, and that tone changes in the middle of the verse. And I'm going to read that on to, uh, okay, I'll continue reading then. You'll see the change in tone in verse 35 in the middle of the verse. It says women received their dead, raised to life again. And now the tone changes. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, that means whippings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the swords, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and the word destitute means they were very poor, financially poor. They were afflicted. They were tormented. And of these men, just imagine, they received the greatest accolade of all. This is amazing because the whole chapter, if you read the whole chapter, you know, by faith they did this and by faith they did that and all these great exploits. But... These people mentioned from verse 35 onwards, they were also heroes of faith. 
but they never had any great exploits to show. They didn't do anything great. In fact, not only that, it says they were tortured, didn't accept deliverance so that they may obtain a better resurrection. And, you know, they, they were mocked and they were whipped and beaten and imprisoned. And it's for their faith, it says they were stoned. They stoned them to death. They were sawn asunder. They were cut up by saws. They were tempted. They were killed by swords. And it says they wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins. They didn't even have proper clothes to wear. They walked around wearing animal skins and they were poor. They were terribly, I mean, they didn't have two nickels to rub together, as one would say. They were desperately poor, and which is striking because you would think that uh, it's uh, having an abundance of material prosperity that would make a man a hero of faith. I mean, how come someone who is destitute and poor even come on this list of the heroes of faith? But that's what it says. They were poor and they were afflicted. They suffered and they were tormented. And the greatest accolade for them is that of whom the world was not worthy. I just want you to consider this, that this expression, that even the world was not worthy of them, was not used of those heroes of faith who made, who did great exploits, but this is of those who never accomplished anything, but they suffered, suffered materially. They were tortured and beaten and killed. Then it continues, they wandered in deserts. They walked around in the deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They slept in caves. They didn't have um, mansions. They didn't have... Uh, houses they didn't they didn't have anything they were poor and by the, by the bible says in verse 39 but these all all means those who did great things who accomplished great things and those who did nothing but they suffered he says they all obtained a good report through faith and they received not the promise he says, God having provided something better for us that they without us should not be made perfect. I, you know, I, I want you to think of this, my friends. I want you to consider this, what he's saying here. This is the word of God. It says, it gives us a list of men who did powerful, great things. Then it tells us about those who were who did nothing. I mean, they had no exploits. They had nothing, no accomplishments to show. <coughs> You know, and, and not only that, but they were poor. They were desperately poor. I mean, they, they, they were so poor. They had no cars to drive. They owned absolutely nothing. And, 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 and they, you know, listen, uh, I've met people like that. Uh, I can tell you of one man I met in Burma, Pastor Tamki. I mean, the man pastored a church in a rural area. And... Uh, I mean, I've lost count of how many people he has raised from the dead. No money, no income. And, uh, but you know, he, the Assemblies of God pastor, he, uh, we asked him, he said, you know, how much, how much money do you have every month? And it was a pitifully small sum. And so, and he had an orphanage and he was feeding all the orphans. He says, well, I said, well, how much money do you have for yourself, for your family? 
He said, well, we, we feed the orphans first. And if there's anything left for us, we, you know, we will eat. But what if there's not enough money? Then he smiled and said, you know, it's a, we'll take it as a wonderful opportunity to fast and pray. Now, I want you to understand, especially my American friends, especially uh, people who, who, who think you understand faith teaching, because for you, the heroes of faith are those, you know, the guy who, 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 who flies a private jet and, and, you know, and drives a car and lives in a mansion, and you call them apostles of prosperity. Listen, there is no such thing in the Bible as an apostle of prosperity, okay? There is no such thing. In fact, in this entire list of the heroes of faith, you don't read about one single hero of faith who is a hero because he, he learned the art of accumulating money. I, I'm not saying that money is not important, but I think sometimes we have to get our priorities straight because here it's talking about those who are poor and if you haven't been to a third world country and preached the gospel, if you only understand the great American gospel enterprise, you will not understand this. Not only will you, will you not understand this, but you, you're going to mock this. That is the way people are these days. But I want you to try to understand this, my friends, that these people who were poor, who were, who were killed by the sword, they, they suffered, they had no accomplishments to show, uh, uh, you know, but, but, but of them, the world was not worthy. That's what it says. The world was not even worthy that they should walk on this earth. And he says, these all... There are two things about them, all of them, and all means those who had the great accomplishments, who uh, conquered kingdoms and all that. I mean, those who did great things and those who never accomplished any things, but only suffered. He says, they all obtained a good report through faith. So we can say this, that to obtain a good report from God because of faith, what makes you a hero of faith is not your accomplishment, but is the fact that you embrace Jesus from a, even if it is from a distance and you count yourself as not having received the promise. It's not even receiving the promise that makes you a hero of faith. It's not your accomplishment that makes you a hero of faith, but the fact that in spite of your suffering and, and, and the difficulties you go through in life, your faith, your passionate faith in Jesus is intact and you hold on to him with all your heart. That is what makes a hero of faith. It is not how much money you have. It is not how big your ministry is or, or, or what kind of audience you have or how famous you are or even how many churches you have planted, how many nations you have preached in. It is not those things. It is not those things. What it is all about, what makes a man or a woman a hero or a heroine of faith is that you see Jesus and you hold him from a distance and you embrace him and you follow him with all your heart holding nothing back. And even if you accomplish great things on this earth, you look at those accomplishments and you consider yourself as not really having anything because that what you really want, that what you really live for, that what you're really passionate about is that city which is up there 
and your savior who's waiting for you up there. That is what makes a hero or a heroine of faith. That is what true men of God are. It is not what you have accomplished or what you have done or how famous you are. That's not what makes you a hero of faith. What makes a hero of faith is that whether you have accomplished great things or whether you have never accomplished anything, but through it all, it is not the accomplishment that means anything or anything in the world that means, I mean, means anything to you, but you look to the heavenlies and you embrace Jesus because you count yourself as a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. You are just passing through because your gaze is fixed on that city up there and you're looking at Jesus, beloved. That is the essence of faith. The essence of faith is not having things. It is not how big your earthly existence is so that people look at it and say, wow, look at this guy, what he has done and what he has and how much money you have or how big your ministry is. It is not that. It is the fact that these accomplishments mean nothing to you. And so when these accomplishments mean nothing to you, you are at the same place as the guy who has accomplished nothing because these things mean nothing, but your gaze is fixed and you are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And there's a savior in that city waiting for you. That, my friend, is the essence of faith. So when you talk about faith, that is the essence of faith. And then it says here, I like to, I like verse 39, 40. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. That means those who accomplished great things and those who suffered, they both looked at that city and they said, that's what we want. And whatever is here, we don't want it anyway. And we haven't really received anything. That's the attitude Abraham when he came, had when he came to the promised land. Verse 40 says, God having provided some better things for us, that they without us would not be perfect. So these, these heroes of faith are in the Old Testament. So God had prepared something for you and me. And let me just say this. You know what that is? That is Jesus. Because without us, those heroes of the Old Testament would not be uh, perfect means uh, come to that place of maturity. Because there's one difference between them and us. They could only see Jesus from a distance and embrace him from afar. But you and I do not embrace Jesus from a distance. We embrace him here and now and we receive him and he lives in our heart and we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places totally because of unmerited, undeserved favor of God. The unmerited, <coughs> I'm sorry, the unmerited, the undeserved favor of God is given to me. I mean, I look at men like David and Samson and I look at me, I say, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm in nowhere close to these people and I'm nowhere close to those who were, who, who were martyred for their faith, who suffered and, and, and they would rather die than, uh, than accept deliverance so that they can have a better resurrection. I'm nowhere close to them, but I am amazed at the mercy and the grace of God that God has chosen that people like you and me 
we would receive and enjoy what those men and women in the Old Testament could only see from a distance. That's what it means that those heroes of faith, they, uh, God had provided something better for us. And the better thing was that we would actually embrace, hold Jesus and have him living in our heart, the same one who they could only see from a distance and embrace by faith. It says, but together with us, these heroes of faith, it all comes into completion. Do you, if you understand what I'm talking about. So I want you to stop and think. I mean, this is the essence of faith. It's about Jesus, but also think of the uh, amazing, the abundance of grace that we have received. And that's what he says in John chapter one. He says, and of his fullness have we received grace after grace. I'm, I marvel and I'm amazed at the love and the grace of God that all these patriarchs in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, they just could see, see from a distance and they could embrace from a distance and they could say, you know, I never really received the promise, but you and I, we just don't embrace Jesus from a distance. I remember the day I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart in December 1975 and he came into my heart and he has lived with me since then and he has shown himself alive so I mean every single day he says I will never leave you and I will never forsake you that privilege to walk with Jesus to have him living in us that is the greatest privilege of all it is grace my beloved it is grace and that is why I put grace and faith together in this teaching because that the essence of faith is Jesus and the grace of God is Jesus. It is in Jesus Christ we see the convergence of grace and faith. And that is what God has given us. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 because it's the next verse. You know, when the books of the Bible were written, <coughs> I'm sorry, there were no chapter or verse division. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. It says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, that means surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what he's saying is that, you know, that those patriarchs of old, they wouldn't come to the completion of all things without us. And then Paul, the, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews is painting the picture of a stadium or an arena. And he's talking about like there's a race and you and I, are running the final lap of that relay race. It's a relay race. And all those generations before us, they ran their lap. And when they finished their lap, they handed the baton to the next generation. And the next generation took the baton and they ran their lap and so on and so forth. And now we are running the final lap and we, the baton has been, hold, has been handed to us. So it says that we are, as we are running the race, we are surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. That means all these heroes of faith of Hebrews 11, they are watching us and they are cheering us on. They are cheering us on. They are the cloud of witnesses. 
also all those patriarchs uh, that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 and 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 I'm thinking of my pastor Billy Joe Doherty is looking down from heaven cheering me on I think of my spiritual father dad Hagen brother Hagen cheering me on Harold Bredesen who was a mentor in my life cheering me on Harry Greenwood pastor Harry Greenwood who was who meant a lot to me cheering me on Pastor Stan Nilsson of Sweden cheering me on. I can give you an endless list of men and women because of whose influence upon my life I am what I am today. <coughs> and they're all in the cloud of witnesses cheering me on. And you too who are watching me, you can also have your own list. There are people up there in the cloud of witnesses because of whom you are the man or the woman you are and they are cheering you on. So it says that we are not running this race alone, but we've got all these people, this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. And so this is the exhortation. He says, as we run this race, as we look at the final, you know, we look at to the finish line, it says there are two things we should do. We should lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. That means that one thing that comes easily upon us, unless we're very careful, is sin. So he said, let us lay aside every sin. Never take for granted that, oh, I'm such a man of God, sin doesn't touch me. No, you should watch out lay aside every sin and not only lay aside every sin but protect yourself from sin make sure you don't go where there's a temptation waiting around the corner for you don't take these things for granted but keep yourself free from sin and if you ever falter just rise up and repent and make things right before God and keep on running don't harbor or give any room to sin and that's what he's saying is that lay aside every sin and then it says lay aside every weight now weights are sins uh, are things that are not necessarily sin but will hinder your race because there are things that may not be sinful per se but they serve to serve as weights on your life and they will keep you down and slow you down. You see, when you run a race, you dress as light as possible. I used to be an athlete at one time. And I remember when I used to run my long, long distance races, I never carried a backpack or wore heavy clothes. When you run a race, you run light. You don't want to carry any weight. So it says, get rid of your sin, keep away from sin, and because sin can easily beset you unless you are careful and also lay aside every weight. And weight can be wrong relationships in your life that will hinder you, wrong influence in your, in your life that will hinder you. Weights can be too many worldly pursuits, too much television, too much hunting, fishing. I don't know. They can be different things that are a God in your life. And those things are not necessarily sinful, but they slow you down and hinder you. And so the Bible says that lay aside those weights and then run with patience. That just run with, in Swedish we use the word utoligate, it's more than patience. It means that you run with perseverance. You run that race that is set before you, then says looking unto Jesus. Hallelujah. So as you're running the race, and because I said we're running the final lap, we see the finish line ahead of us. And with all this crowd, cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on, there is somebody who's cheering for you more than anybody else. And that is Jesus. And he is right across the finish line with his arms open wide, 
waiting for you to run and cross the finish line. And so you run into his embrace. And the Bible says, don't look at anything else, but look at Jesus. Keep your face fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he is cheering you on. Jesus is cheering you on. Jesus wants you to win. And it says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. We're talking about faith. And Jesus is the one who started you on the journey of faith. And he has been with you every day doing this journey of faith. And he is the finisher of the faith. Uh, he is, means that he is the one who initiated it, who is with you at right from the beginning. And he's going to be with you right until the end. And he's going to see you across the finish line. And then it says, and then it says, this Jesus, he's describing this Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. So he's talking about this Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And here it tells us why Jesus went through the shame and the pain and the suffering of the cross. You know why? Because on the other side of the cross, he saw the joy that was set before him. And you know what that joy was? The joy that was set before him was the joy of seeing people like you and me who, you know, who were lost in our sins. He saw us. Jesus saw us burning in the flames of hell. And then he said to the father, I am going to save them. So he came down to this earth and he suffered and he went through all that suffering. He went through that rejection. He went through that beating. He went through that pain. He went through that suffering. And he went to the cross. And he despised the shame of the cross because he was crucified as a common criminal with people mocking him, cursing him. But he said, that's okay. He, he went to the cross because he, the prize he wanted to win was on the other side of the cross. And you know what that prize was? The prize was to see hundreds and hundreds of millions of sinners washed in his precious blood. And the Bible says one day in heaven, it's, it's written in the book of Revelations. He says, we will gather around the throne of God and there'll be a huge multitude, a countless multitude of uh, saints redeemed from every language, every kindred, every tongue from all over the world. There'll be black, white, Chinese, all Arabs, Jews. We will all be there redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we will all be dressed in white and worshiping God. And that was the prize that Jesus saw. He saw you and me burning in hell and then he went to the cross to change that. So then that vision changed instead of us burning in hell. He saw us around the throne of God, worshiping him in all eternity, redeemed to worship him, redeemed to praise his name from every tribe and nation, redeemed to worship him, redeemed to praise his name from every kindred and tongue. We used to sing that song at one time and we should start singing it again. And so that was the prize that was set before him. It was about souls. And so Jesus went to the cross and endured the same and endured the pain and the suffering and the rejection of the cross to save us. And so beloved, that is the Jesus we should be looking at. We should be looking at that Savior Jesus. We should be looking at the Jesus who went to the cross 
to save us. And beloved, that is the essence, the spirit of faith that you and I follow Jesus and are willing to pay any price to suffer whatever it costs so that we can win souls for Jesus because that great commission of preaching the gospel to every creature and of winning souls for him has been handed to you and to me. Hallelujah. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Glory to his name. Praise God. Tomorrow we will continue. And I think I have a couple of more lessons left. And I'm going to finish. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the spirit of faith. And uh, so I hope you have a good grasp on faith now. It's not just one thing. Some people think that faith is just, you know, believing God for this, believing God for a car, believing God for a house. Faith is more than that. Faith is tied to God's grace. Faith is about um, the whole thing, how grace and faith converge. And because of it, we have been redeemed and we keep our eyes on Jesus and uh, with Jesus. Well, there's many, many different, uh, there's only one Jesus, but there's many different impressions people have of Jesus. You think of Jesus who is the baby in the manger, you know, and you think of uh, Jesus who heals the sick and Jesus who does this, Jesus who does that. But what the Bible is pointing out is that Jesus who, who, who was willing to pay any price because he saw the prize before him. I say he paid the ultimate price to win the greatest prize and that is souls. God bless you and I'll be seeing you tomorrow.